Blog Talk Radio. Join with my usual Trek experts. We'll start off with Eric. Eric is out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing really good. We're having a very nice day here in Portland. Was able to get outside a little bit and enjoy some time between uh, working here and there. And then uh, I even got a little bit of time to kind of brush up on the book before we came on the air. So I'm pretty excited to chat about it. Excellent, excellent. We also have with us Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. We had beautiful weather today. It was a nice day to work outside on my desk, taking care of my classroom. And, yep, ready to start talking more Trek. Yeah, it's, it's you know, pretty pretty cold and dark and wintry here in Vermont, so, you know. That's what happens in the winter. So let's dive right in and talk about this book. So I'm a huge, huge uh, Pike fan. I've got, I think, I think Pike is awesome. And uh, I, I have a huge man crush on Pike and I was so excited to read this book. And uh, we know that the enterprise was not in the Klingon war and the enterprise is in a pretty precarious situation when we first see it at the beginning of season two in Star Trek Discovery. And now we know why this book fills in that gap as to where was the Enterprise and why was it in such bad shape when we see it in the beginning of Discovery season two. And that's where this book kind of picks up. So I, as I said, I was really excited because I love Pike and uh, yeah, I don't know where to start. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a long book. Uh, I, well, I, you know, I will say the fact uh, is, this book actually <laughs> picks. This book actually picks up in the early part of season one of Discovery. 
because while they're in a special mission, they find out about the Klingon War. During the book, we do find out about the damage caused at the Battle of the Binary Stars. We find out the Cornwell turns up missing. And we find out that Discovery has gone missing. So this kind of flows a little bit into Season 1 and really brings us into Season 2 and answers some of the mysterious questions that we didn't understand. Yeah, so the book is kind of set up with these different sections, basically. There's, uh, it kind of goes through time. It starts with a prologue that is dated in 2236, which tells a story about Pike um, pre like back when he was still kind of coming up in Starfleet. Uh, And it's a story about kind of getting buried underground uh, and having to dig his way out because of some sort of stupid stuff that he was doing. And um, it's a story that kind of is meant to show that uh, the Pike that we see throughout the book who uh, kind of constantly has regrets, um, that sort of attitude of his always starts, or excuse me, started way back in 2236 when he was just a young one. Um, so that's kind of an interesting story. So, yeah, uh, do you guys, let's talk just about the prologue to start well, with. Do you have any comments kind of about that first story, that first part of the book? I, I just, I want to, I want to get out of the way what I couldn't stand about this book. <laughs> um, because it just, first of all, it, to me, this book felt like a chore to read. Um, I didn't find myself on bated breath waiting to get to the next chapter like I did with the Tilly book and the Saru book and some of the other ones that we read, which I thoroughly enjoyed and felt like an episode. This one did not. And for me, this is my personal preference. You guys can obviously chime in, but for me, the whole, everything that we had, like the, the, the 30 chapters in the middle of the book that dealt with the, the um, uh, what the hell were they called? The Chosen Ones? The, the um, uh, what were the name of them? No, I can't even no. remember. They, the, the Lost? Are you oh, talking about the Boundless? The, the Boundless, yeah, them. Uh, I, I just found that that stuff was completely boring, and I didn't care. And I felt that the author spent way, way too much time talking about them and, uh, and this one and that one and this one's grandmother and the battle suit and, and the, the, the hierarchy and the political layout of the ship and, and blah, 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 blah. I just didn't care. And it just, it, for me, it, just, it was just like a chore to get through all that garbage because I didn't care. And... Um, I wanted to read, I want, I, I remember saying to Eric, you know, I, I hope that we get some Pike back. And Eric says, well, wait till you get to chapter 70. And I was like, oh, God. Uh, so uh, the boundless stuff I found extremely tedious to get through and extraneous, and I didn't care for it at all. And for me, it just slowed the reading of the book down. And I kept turning the pace saying, okay, are we done with this yet? Okay, can we get back to Starfleet? Where's Pike? What happened to Spock? Where's number one? 
And I just kept reading page after page of the boundless and all, and I just, it just didn't thrill me at all. I just wasn't into that. So that's what I didn't like about the book. And that's what dragged it down for me Um, too much of the, of the, and when it first started, uh, the Lucerians, I think they were Lucerians. They were the pirates of the nebula and they're after the enterprise. So we spend a couple of chapters on this pirate ship that's going after the Enterprise and fires a torpedo at them and so on and so forth. And then the pirate ship gets boarded by another bunch of pirates, and they all get kidnapped and turned into pirates on another pirate ship. So everything that we read about the first pirate ship was all extraneous because that pirate ship is now, I don't know. I, I, I didn't care for any of the stuff about the Boundless. I thought it was way too much in the book. So that's what I didn't like about it. What did you guys think about all the boundless? Now we're not talking about the Rengu. I'm talking about the boundless. And then there was silence. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Charles. Uh, it didn't bore me, but there was a lot of detail about the boundless. Balance is an interesting society because they're at battle. So their main goal, their main, the main goal of the civilization is to recruit new people and build armor and fight. They really don't have any production that they do other than building armor. So it's a very single-minded society, and their constant thing is going in. They don't mind finding tech, but the biggest thing they want is they want bodies that they can put into armor, which they can control and eventually hopefully take the people's willingness to go in and fight. And that's their constant deal is they want to fight and battle, battle it out with their enemies. And we think the Klingons are relentless. These these were worse than Klingons. They definitely go ongoing in battles. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, so uh, I think in terms of the Boundless, I actually think the Boundless are a pretty interesting concept in the book. So we didn't even really set up the book or anything or talk about the what's going on. But basically... The Enterprise is in uh, a nebula. They have been ordered by Starfleet to stay away. And uh, within this nebula, they discover uh, two societies that are fighting kind of an endless war against one another. And as Jim was saying, this whole pirate setup situation kind of leads us to this group called the Boundless, who are these warriors that Charles is talking about that just, you know, have, have their armor and are fighting the Rengru, who are kind of their arch nemeses. So that is kind of an interesting setup to me because the Boundless um, are a society that uh, are a war society, but completely different from like the Herogen or the or the Klingons or anybody else we've seen in Star Trek. Um, they are all fighting, fighting, fighting for hundreds and hundreds of years, but nobody knows why they're fighting. Uh, and so I do think that that's kind of an interesting setup. Now, I will also agree with Jim in that I think that a lot of the boundless kind of 
story setup happens probably throughout the first half of the book, um, maybe even the first like three-fifths of the book. And I think it was too much of the book. The book is 420 pages, um, which is just slightly longer than a couple of the other books that we've read. It's 20 pages longer than Drastic Measures. Um, and it did feel like the Boundless stuff dragged out a little bit. Now, I will say that um, they did go, he did go into a lot of detail, and I, I looked up this author. I didn't really know too much about him, but apparently he's really known more so for writing books in the Star Wars universe. Um, so maybe that kind of plays a little bit into the way this book is put together. This book is 70-something chapters. They're really short chapters, like little blips of, um, uh, you know, story here and there. I think uh, I, would, I would read them while I was uh, working out in the mornings, and I think a chapter on my Kindle would take me like five or six minutes to read. So I'd read like, you know, five, six chapters or so uh, in the morning. Um, so it's kind of like little bite-sized pieces, very interesting concepts, but yeah. I'll concede, Jim. I, I do think that they dragged that part of the story out just a little bit. Um, but I will say that I think you needed to set up the Boundless really well to be able to have the Rengru as the enemy that then, surprise, turns out to be the good guys um, in well, typical Star Trek fashion. So. I, I did want to – I just wanted to um, get that out of the way because – there was a lot I liked about the book, but I, fo- I found it uh, uh, really taxing to get through all the boundless stuff. And part of the reason why I enjoyed all the other books that we've read so far up to this one is a lot of the background story that we dealt with were directly related to the characters, things like the Tilly book um, that had a direct impact on the character, like her grandparents and her father and, you know, all the people she meets along the way and all those things helped to make Tilly who Tilly is. And I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that with this book though. It was totally different because to me, it felt like, like it was, um, it was a book about the boundless and the ring and Spock and Kirk and number one and the enterprise are just kind of thrown in the mix just to call it a star Trek book. So, yeah. And I, and I think that they were trying I think they were trying to make it a Pike book in some ways, you know, because they do take a little bit of time trying to develop how he's feeling about the situation and his, you know, how crummy he feels about not being in the Klingon war. And, you know, they, they kind of try to run the ship through this really thick, dense nebula several times and the ship takes a bunch of damage as a result. And he's doubting himself because of that. So I think they're trying to do that with Pike a little bit, but I would agree compared to some of the character development we've gotten in other recent books, this felt a little flat to me. Yeah. Like drastic measures was outstanding. I thought, um, you know, yeah, that I mean, was drastic phenomenal. Measures was a, it, it was an adventure, right? It was like, you know, just like heart pounding adventure from the beginning to the end and, and really good. Um, this one kind of like ebbed and flowed and there was a lot of really quiet parts where some of the characters that I think they were trying to develop these soldier characters, um, I don't know, just turned out to be not, not that interesting. It just not really developed that well. I didn't think. Well, so now that I, 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 I oh, sorry, Charles, I go ahead. Go ahead, Charles. About this book, 
one thing I warn fans about this book is that a lot of the books you read go through a short time period or go with a few months. Whereas you think, well, wait a minute, Battle of Binary Stars, the end of season one, was a long time period. This book actually goes more than a year, a year plus in length from beginning to end. That while they're in yeah, this nebula, a, they're in this yeah. nebula for longer than a year in these activities. And a lot happens in that one year, especially once we start learning about the boundless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we do get to we do get to meet Conley, who actually uh, meets his demise in uh, Enterprise um, in Discovery season two. We do get to meet him here. He's a huge baseball fan, and uh, his character was actually more enjoyable in this book than he was on the TV show. On the TV <laughs> yeah, show, he was mansplaining and. <laughs> it was like, and, and boom, he's dead. So he, it was almost like a totally different character. So I thought it was great that we get to see him pre-death on Discovery. Um, that was really cool. And we also get to meet Nan, um, the security officer on the Enterprise, who then transfers to Discovery. So we get to, we get to learn a little bit about Nan, which is really cool. And, of course, Dr. Boyd, who we see um, in the cage, um, is separate. Well, yeah, I'll get to that in a minute. He, he's he's floating around there too. Number one is there as well, and so is Mr. Spock. Now, one of the things of the things I liked, I already told you what I didn't like. So let's let's get that out of the way. But what I did like, once I got past chapter two in the sixty somewhere, <laughs> once for me, the book just picked up and flew. Once number one uh, got assimilated by the Rengu, I want to say chapter sixty something, maybe two, maybe I don't know, somewhere around there. When when number one uh, is assimilated, to me, I was like, oh man, and then it just, and then the book flew for me from the, I was like wow what's going on and, and then it just picked right up and got really 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 good the last you know uh, 10 12 chapters whatever it was it really really got good at that point I thought um, how they yeah. explained yeah, the who the Red Blue were it, you know yeah. what happened to Spock yeah, I've talked to a few people uh, in my life about kind of the – if you were to graph the arc of a lot of books, they kind of have this very steady build that kind of goes on throughout the whole thing. And then, you know, somewhere 85 90% of the way through, they sort of peak, and then there's this kind of quick drop-off. This book felt like it was flat, 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 flat. You're right, about chapter 60, 62, boom, all of a sudden the story just like arced way up. And a lot of very interesting things started happening. And I think that um, part of it was that it was when we got our, um, our twist, you know, when we yeah. uh, took the Rengru, who had kind of been our enemies throughout the whole book. Uh, you know, everybody's freaking out because, yes, this one grabbed right onto Una, put a brain spike in the back of her head. And things didn't, didn't look so good. But it turns out that's uh, actually how they communicate, of course. 
And um, Una, being the one who was like most open to that, was actually actually allowed it to happen to her body. Um, in other words, it, it like other people, they had tried to do it. Uh, the Rengu had tried to do it with some other people, but those people just died. And Una was able to actually allow it to happen, which then gave her special insight into this species, which then leads to kind of what the book is really about, which is, you know, Starfleet trying to solve and stop the war between these two um, between these two entities. It's kind of a little bit like um, uh, A Taste of Armageddon in TOS, where there's the two, you know, societies that have been warring for so long virtually <laughs> that they, they, don't, they no longer know why they're fighting. They just, like, fight, 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 and then send people to the death chambers when they calculate how many people were supposed to have died. It's a little bit like that, where Starfleet has to swoop in and solve that war between two groups. Um, so, yeah, it, I agree, Jim. It gets really interesting the, the, right around in there. The payoff, the payoff at the end was 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 really good. Um, I felt. And there's another. It, it, there's it was. a couple of other and, little, you know, you know. It's yeah. It's hard to sum the book up though because it had. It, it wasn't like the other books that we read. It, it, I can't explain it, but the ending. Well, the ending think, made it all worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, you have to kind of split the book apart, I think, into its separate stories, because really what you end up with is you end up with a separate story for Spock and Connolly, who get inducted into the Boundless's army and actually are forced to fight on the side of the Boundless for months and months and months. And ultimately, that becomes, uh, by the end of the book, like Spock ends up alone deserted on this planet, walking in his armor, running out of oxygen, and has kind of a revelation about the Red Angel that that ties right back into season two again, which was pretty cool. And then you take the Una story, which is a separate story. You take the Pike kind of character development that they go through. I feel like that's a totally separate story from, like, the Una story. And then you've got the sub-characters. Like, you get a little non, you get a little Connolly, they also introduced a new character. There's this Dr. Galagian guy um, who was responsible. You know, he's not Starfleet, but he was responsible for uh, getting everybody ready for the mission into this nebula. And, you know, he, he kind of is a guy that, like, is not at the top of his game. He's not a Starfleeter, so he doesn't have that kind of commitment to excellence, <laughs> I will say. Um, so I thought he was actually kind of an interesting character, too. So, so Jim, I think you're right. The stories don't play well with one another, but they all are happening at the same time. And so it's interesting in that regard. You can, you can follow all the individual tales about these characters, but they interact in new I ways. Found, I found it. I really enjoyed uh, Pike when, uh, because w- w- there's a huge battle in the nebula. And we get to see just how brilliant Captain Pike and how well he works with his crew by doing the warp jumps and they're, they're boom, 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 boom. And they're outnumbered, I think seven or eight or 12 to one um, with uh, boundless battleships. And they're just warping, 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 and they warp and attack, warp and attack, warp and attack. And that whole thing was awesome. And then it goes awry. But I just, I really enjoyed seeing Captain Pike relating to his crew and being on the bridge of the enterprise and, you know, the relationship he has with number one and, you know, with Mr. Spock. 
And that stuff was great, I thought. That's early, well, maybe chapter 50, maybe, 40. Well, I think the one thing in there is you get a progression with, because we see Cage Pike, and he questions his willingness to want to be in Starfleet. And we get more of that Pike in the book where he kind of questions, is this where he belongs? And it rather ties up to where we get this strong Pike that we get in Discovery that Sung mm-hmm. Ho and really is a strong officer, a strong captain, ready to be really motivated to go into battle. Did yeah, a good job of progressing him that from that point to that point. Yeah, because several he, points in between. He was full of regret over over what had happened um, when he was a kid. His friend dying under the under the rocks, and he didn't he didn't want to lose any of his crew. So he felt responsible for everybody, and so that was that was building his character. And of course. When we see him on um, Discovery, this is the Pike that we see immediately after this book. This is the Enterprise limping back home and, you know, running into the Discovery right there. I mean, that's literally like Eric said. This is where the book picks up, the end of the book. And, of course, the whole thing with Mr. Spock and the Red Angel just blew my mind. I was like, oh, my God, so... That's how Spock ended up where he was and what put him there. And I thought that was great, too. Like yeah. I said, the ending, the end was spectacular because it just tied it all right to where we picked up at season two. Yep. And I loved it. I loved it. But it was a chore to get to it, unfortunately. Mr. Charles, as a resident Vulcan uh, lover on the crew here, what did you think about the Spock stories, kind of him as a soldier, and then uh, later on throughout the book. Very logical the way the way he handles himself. We try to communicate with the Rangu Rangu at one point, and where he constantly try making deals and try bettering himself and the crew to an advantage. He try finding ways having to forego himself to save others and then want to sit there and say, okay, I've, I've seen this exist. I've seen this sign. I need to go look for it. And the fact that he finds it and how much it distraughts him in the process of finding it explaining why he was in the condition he was when we found out about him. I think it was well put together, very interesting perspective of Spock at that point. Yeah, it sort of, it almost like takes a little deep dive into his psyche because as you were saying earlier, this book takes place over a year and um, Spock is abducted, you know, I don't know, fairly towards the beginning, I think. So I don't know exactly how long he spends uh, in the Boundless Army, but let's say probably at least eight or nine months. 
Um, and the thing about these suits that they wear, first of all, they're completely basically impervious to damage, which is kind of cool. People live in their armor, um, so they're almost like a still suit um, from Dune where they just kind of recycle all of your body's contents and they feed you and they, you know, you take care of your business and it all kind of goes back into the system. Um, so people never actually get out of their armor. And some people actually never put their face shields down. Like they literally stay buttoned up the whole time while other people kind of have this habit of, of putting their, um, their helmet down um, when they're talking to people. But uh, uh, the, 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 the kind of lieutenants or like the people who sort of run the companies have these controllers where they can actually make the armor do things. If the people don't want to do the things, then they can make the armor, you know, stay still or move in a particular way that they want it to move or that kind of stuff. The idea is that the, the armor isn't just a droid. It actually needs a human brain to operate, but there is a certain amount of control um, that people can exert over it. And so I just imagine what the, like, the psychological, I don't know, as a person who has a little bit of claustrophobia myself, I can't even imagine being buttoned up inside a spacesuit that you can't get out of that other people can sometimes control. And, and that's just like you're normal. And then every single day you're forced into a war where you're fighting. It's like aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. So I will say that the one thing I thought the book did really well, which is what you were just talking about, Charles, was show that, what that does to Spock's psyche. I mean, ultimately, it's yeah. the Red Angel thing at the end. It kind of sends him over the edge. But the whole, throughout the whole book, he's being broken down, broken down, broken down. And he tries to kind of maintain his composure. But I think in the end, it kind of gets to him. Yeah. Well, I think he goes to the well, planet. He goes to the planet to die. The way I understand, he went there to go to the volcano to because he gave up and it it was time for him. He just opened up his suit and was going to die, and that he he went there for that reason. He had resigned his fate, and and that was it. I'm I'm done. And of course, he doesn't die because the Red Angel uh, shows up, but. Um, that's the way I understand. He, so, he gave up. So Jim, that was know? my so that was my other question that I was going to ask you about. That was, do you think Spock was kind of like ready to commit suicide to like end his own pain, or do you think he just was out of hope and it was just like there was just nothing he could do about the scenario, and so it was more like acquiescence, just resignation to to his situation because. I I think he does set the volcano as a goal. He sort of sees it and he's like, okay, I'm going to walk towards that thing. And somebody who's completely, you know, depressed is not going to set a goal, right? They're just going to sit down and stay there. They're not going to set a goal. So I wonder, like, it feels like he stays a little bit focused to me all the way until the end. What do you think? Well, I think that his, um, his armor only has a, I don't remember exactly because the, all the technical, it was so technical with the armor, but uh, the armor only had a certain amount of time that it could recycle the air, that it could recycle your body fluids, that it could keep you alive. I forgot the exact amount of time, but um, you could live in space. You could live without food um, for just a, so much amount of time before the suit ran out of, of um, um, energy. 
I, I guess is the word. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, Spock was at that point where he was communicating with Pike, and Pike was they were going to rescue him. They they knew where he was. Um, some stuff happens with the Rangu, and they're going to go get Spock. And Spock helps them get over. I don't know if I want to say. Yeah, okay, so anyways, the Enterprise is, is not the Enterprise we all know and love. It's actually, um, yeah, okay, spoiler alert, it's split in half. They have an emer- emergency saucer set. So the saucer is upside down, floating in some gaseous planet somewhere, and Una's with the star drive over there somewhere. Spock helps Pike get the saucer section uprighted so that they can fix the systems and get off the planet and, and come and find him. They know where Spock is. I don't think Spock knows that they know where he is. That's the thing. I don't right. know if Spock knows because of the condition of his suit, but Pike knows where he is. And Spock's running out of air. He's running out of water. He knows he's he's going to die. And he decides he doesn't want to die in the suit. So he opens up the suit and crawls out of the suit to, to die, um, to, to die on the planet, I guess. And so, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's the way I understood it. And when Pike finds them, they yeah, find I'm just the wondering suit, what he's the, not in the like suit. What was, I was just wondering what the symbolism of him like getting out of the suit is. Like, is he? He's he knows his suit is dead, so it doesn't matter if he stays in the suit or not. So is he? I think he's freeing himself. I think he's got this like last thing that he's doing at the very end, which is okay. I've I've had this thing encapsulated all around me forever. It's completely controlled my life. This is the moment at death. This is the moment that like. I'm going to choose to open this thing up and let myself be free right before uh, I kick the bucket. So yeah, I, I, think I do he like that to moment. Die. He gets out of the suit. He wanted to mm-hmm. die as as Spock and not not as right. Iron right. Man. Well, I, you know. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, if we go into Star Trek Two. the original one, I think it was getting out of the suit to allow his Katra to be free and not being trapped in the suit on his death. But I wonder if Katra would be trapped in the suit, and if he's released from it, at least his Katra would be free. Sure. I think that's part of the reason is he's... I think it is. I think it is the term Katra, but he kind of wants that freed before he goes because he knows the suit. The thing is, the suit normally can create its own energy, but there's not a source of energy the suit can feed from on his planet. Right. <clears throat> his planet is so lifeless that there's no way the suit can actually reproduce energy. So he's limited to how long the suit can last. <clears throat> yeah, I did. I, I really did like, um, once we got away from the boundless, I really enjoyed the story immensely. In fact, I even enjoyed the part where the original pirate from the beginning of the book, 
uh, the Lorrainian. I think they were Lorrainians, weren't they? Lorrainians. Lorrainians. The the captain of the pirate ship becomes actually becomes friends with Conley at the end, and and you know they bring him back to his pirate ship that's been stripped, and they leave him there with his crew. Uh, to go about their business, and and because he didn't want to be with the boundless um, anymore, for I don't want to tell you why, but something something happens between the boundless and the Ringu that doesn't involve him. So the the book for me, it really got really 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 good at the end, like a snowball rolling down a hill. You had the Spock and the suit, and you had Pike and you had Una. You had all this stuff going on that all came to a head, like the last twenty chapters 25 chapters or so and it just picked right up and i was like wow wow read the next one what's going on next and like you said eric they were short chapters so they were easy to read once it got going and then it ended and when it ended i was like wow you know yeah the red angel was definitely worth it the way the story resolved i thought was definitely worth reading all the way to the end so if you so if you're listening to this podcast and you decide to read this book and you get like halfway through the book and you're just like, oh, I don't know if I can do it, just do it. Like if you get to halfway, do <laughs> just do it because the end of the book is pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually – I was reading it up at camp. Um, when, we, when we started reading this book, it was summer, and I, I like to lay out on the deck with my dog, and I'll, I'll read a Star Trek book, and it's, I enjoy that. So. I was really getting into this book, a lot of Pike stuff, a lot of the backstory, and, you know, it was great. And, and, you know, and then all of a sudden I got to this part where it felt like I was walking in mud, and I was like, oh, man, not another. uh." And I remember saying to Eric, I was like, wow, please tell me. Because I bought this book and read this book for Pike. I love Pike. I want to know about Pike. And it starts off with a lot about Pike. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then it switches gears and Pike isn't around. And it's all this other stuff. And maybe that's why I was so, um, it was such a chore for me because I had, I had an expectation going into the book that it was going to be a Pike book, like Drastic Measures and like the Tilly book and the Saru book. I thought maybe that's what it was going to be. And that's not what it was. So if you're buying this book and you want to read all about Pike and number one and Spock, you know, you're going to be disappointed. Well, you won't be when you get to the well, end, but. Well, and, and I'll say, book, and, and oh, go ahead, Charles. This book isn't about a specific, okay. This book isn't based on a specific character, truly about the enterprise. This is more focused on the ship and its crew, not just a single character but the crew itself and the ship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good, I think that's a good point, Charles. And actually I I'm wondering if one of the things, one of the reasons that we just didn't completely love the book was that it's trying to maybe do too many things. Um, It, it, I do think that there is a under thread story, for example, that I was saying earlier about Pike and his kind of, uh, I mean, they reference specifically uh, that ever, that this is post-Talos 4 um, and that that psychologically affected him. In fact, you know, Spock ends up using Talos 4 as a, as a clue uh, in this book to something that he wants Captain Pike to do. So there is a little bit of 
of pike development. Um, there's a little bit of adventure. There's a little bit of learning more about Una, but but not quite a lot. Um, so it's not – it's like trying to do a lot of things. And really, ultimately, what it's trying to do is it's trying to fill a year's worth of space when the Enterprise was gone. And it is hard, I think, to write a book that happens over a year that um, isn't more epic, you know. <laughs> it involves a pretty small cast of crew. Um, if yeah, it was more epic, maybe book, it would have been easier to write. I don't know. This book is totally different from every other book we've read up to date. Like like I keep saying, we had the Tilly book. We had the Saru book. You know, we had the Lorca book. And each one of these books was about a, a character. And, and they, they flew right by. They were spectacular because um, we learned so much. This book, like, like uh, Charles said, isn't about a character per se. And maybe, maybe that's why I was a little bit let down because I'm a huge Pike fan. I loved Anson Mount's portrayal of him in season two. So I was really looking forward to reading the book because that's what I thought I was going to get, but that's not what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe that's why I was not as excited about this book. But but it did get really good at the end. I got to say that. Yeah, and the other the other thing was that I think the main point of the story involved new characters, right? The it was really the boundless characters that we spent the most time with, I think. And so you're right, the story wasn't about the characters that we know and love. It was about some new characters that they invented in a far far land um, <laughs> that we had never heard of before. Um, so there was not a ton of good new story about the characters um, that we want to know more about. And I think you hit the nail right on the head. I think I think that's why the book felt kind of blasé to me because it was a, such a drastic departure from every other book we've read in the series so far. It really is totally different. And different's not bad. Not at all. You know, no. you know that. You know, the Idic, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. But after you've read all the books that we that we read, these great books that we read, you have certain expectations going into this one, and maybe that's what kills it. Expectations, um, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I mean, I would think yeah. uh, so, Jim. So overall, on a scale of one to ten. Uh, with 10 being the most awesome book that you can imagine in Star Trek land, where does this book end up on your scale? Well, that's a tough one. That, that is a tough one because I have two scores in my mind. <laughs> if if you want to, well, if I, if, okay, I'm a, I'm a little bit old fashioned. I just want to say something here. The reason why I stopped reading Star Trek books in the 90s is because of this particular problem. There was so much with the Boundless that I honestly didn't care about. And a lot of the Star Trek books that Pocket Books was putting out in the 90s were centered on Joe Blow from Idaho or Harry Ferry or this one or that one, and I just didn't care. So I stopped reading them. So if, if, if I'm going to grade this book and take out 60%, of the boundless stuff, 
and center on the main story and all the threads that pull the story together and cut back on a lot of the boundless stuff. I would give this book an eight, eight and a half, easily. But when you put in all the boundless stuff, which, which for me just slowed the pace right down, I have to give it maybe a six. You know, does that make sense? Absolutely. How about you, Charles? Where does it end up on your scale, one to ten? I think overall, I think similar to what Jim's doing, I think overall I'd give it a seven. It definitely tied in into season two of Discovery very well, but the book did have a long stretch in that year to get to that final point. But there was definitely a lot of good points in the book, and there was a lot of stories that I did enjoy. It did take 12 hours to get to the book, which was a good two weeks of, two plus weeks of walking, depending on how long I walked. It took a while to get to the story, but it was definitely an interesting story to get through. I will say yeah, I think a couple of books okay. will get better. This one, compared mm. to this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've got. Uh, well, we'll talk about our next book here in a second. Uh, yeah, I, I think I end up somewhere right around you guys overall. I, I had a six and a half down as my score for this book, um, because I would give the first half of it about a four or five, and I give the last half of it about a seven and a half or eight. So yeah, six and a half is my, is my overall score on the book. I wanted to love it more, um, but I didn't, but it has, it has its merits. So I think it's worth reading. Like, I mean, I guess if you were going to skip one of the new books so far, this is the only one I would say, yeah, you could probably skip and get away with it. I would read all the other ones that we've read so far. Um, But you know, if you're a completionist, go ahead and read it. It ain't that bad. No, I, when I, I, what I really liked about it, was the ending. One of the things that impressed me about the Tilly book is when you get to the end of the book and you read that, that last chapter, you realize that the entire book just happened between Michael and Tilly in the quarter, in her quarters, the day before she gets in the officer exchange or officer training program. The whole book takes place right in that tiny little time slot. And I'm like, wow, that was awesome. And this book is the same way. The end saved it. When you get to those last few chapters and you're flipping through the pages like crazy because it's just getting so good, and it ends, and you realize that it ends right exactly where season two picks up. And that saves the whole book for me. I'm like, wow, now we know. Um, But you know what? I don't love every episode of Star Trek, so why would I love every single book? You know? You're going to have some that are not your favorites. Yeah. Totally. You know, I don't love every Star Trek movie. I go and see them all, but I don't love them all. And, you know, I've read, we've read every discovery book. And so far I've loved every single one of them. But like, like Eric said, this is the one that I would put at the bottom of my list. If you're, if you're not going to read one, don't read this one, read all the others because they're worth it and skip this one. Now, but it wasn't. That, let me catch. Wasn't. Now let me catch you guys. Let me catch everybody up on where we are in book. The next book 
technically in the series, but not on a reading order, is going to be Dead Endless. This is a Stamets... This is a Stamets Culver book. And some of the referencing comments you hear Culver talk about in this season, you'll read this book and you're going to say, oh... I understand what happened, Culver. I understand what happened to him and why he's the way he is. But that's definitely an interesting one. And then we've also got Die Standing. This will be the Giorgio story. And we're talking uh-huh. Emperor Giorgio story. And you're going to get some interesting perspectives of her going into, especially this one. This one occurs, okay, Samus occurs from the digesting and the mirror universe into where he's found in season two. This book occurs from Die Standing occurs from the end of season one to where she joins up with the crew of the Discovery in season two. But you're going to get a story before that between those two time periods. That we're going to be reading, we kind of switched gears up on you guys a little bit. Yep. Because if you listen to our our book nook in the past, you would know that we read the Tilly book by Una McCormick, and she told us on the podcast she was working on a new book, the autobiography of Catherine Janeway, and that it was going to be out very soon. And she told us that she would be more than happy to come back on the show and talk about that book. Well, that book came out, and I'm still waiting for mine to get here. But um, Eric and Charles have already started it, and so that's going to be our next book nook book will be the autobiography of Catherine Janeway by Una McCormick and hopefully we can get her to come on the show with us and share some insight with you guys and with us about the writing of that book so that should be a lot of fun I'm looking forward to that and 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 for me having missed about three years of Voyager uh, hopefully the book will fill in a lot of the stuff that I am not familiar with so I'm looking forward to that so far, well, it's definitely reading as the... a book that you don't have to have watched the show to enjoy the book. Um, there's just enough. She she does reference things that happen here and there, but I think as long as you have a general concept of Voyager, you'll be fine reading the book. No problem. Yeah, I'm looking well, forward I'm to in it. Chapter, I'm in chapter, starting chapter five, and we haven't even gotten into Voyager yet. We've had some... Mm-hmm. References to Voyager, but no, overall, we haven't even gotten into anywhere near Voyager yet. Well, and a I lot wanna, of details that say, we um, talked about in, in uh, I, Voyager. I just, uh, before we run out of time here, I just wanted to say thank you to you guys for hanging out and uh, talking about Star Trek 
books with us here on Book Nook. It's always great to have you guys to talk about either books or comics. Um, our next next Monday, we're going to be doing Comic Corner. And we have a Deep Space Nine book, the, the book four of Too Long and Sacrifice to, to talk about. And we're going we're gonna to do two year fives, which means we're going to cover the entire arc because each each book is each arc is two books, and we're going to cover both of them on one show. So we're going to have six. We're going to have uh, three books to talk about on Monday. So you guys want to tune in for that same bat time, same bat channel uh, for Comic Corner, and also Thursday night, seven thirty Trek Talking and Beyond. We're going to be talking about Mandalorian and who shows up on the Mandalorian. Dun 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 dun. I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to tune in. <laughs> You're going to have to tune in and find out. But it's not a shocker. It's no big surprise. It was hinted at all the way back last year. So you have to tune in for that. And we're going to be talking about Sanctuary, which is another episode directed by Jonathan Frakes. So you guys don't want to miss that. 7.30 on Thursday night. And dun, 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 I think that's about it. Did you guys have anything you wanted to add in before we say goodnight? Nope. No, sir. I think that just about covers it. Yep. Yep. We're just about done with another book nook. So anyways, I'm Uncle Jim, your most excellent host, saying thank you very much for hanging out with us tonight. And thank you very much to Eric for hanging out and talking about Star Trek with us. Thank you, Eric. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. See you on Thursday. And, uh, of course, we can't go away without saying thank you very much to Charles for hanging out and, and uh, talking about Star Trek Discovery. Thank you, Charles. Oh, definitely. I always enjoy talking about the novel. It was, it was fun. It was fun. It was a good book at the end. And, of course, thank you to each and every one of you guys out there around the globe who's listening to us. We couldn't do the show without you. Make sure you head on over to our Facebook page, Truck Talking and A-N-D, Beyond, and give us a like and a follow over there so you never miss one of our podcasts. And make sure you uh, tell us where you're from, where you're listening from. Every week on Truck Talking, we pick some lucky fans and we Give them a shout-out. So head over to our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond, and uh, maybe you'll be our next fan that gets a shout-out. So uh, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, I'm Uncle Jim signing off. Hailing frequencies are closed. And I'm going to leave you guys with the trailer for Star Trek Discovery Sanctuary, which is the episode we're going to talk about on Thursday night. Good night, everybody. Live long and prosperous. This is where the burn started. So we have a point of origin. Something or someone is definitely sending it. Philippa? That's weird. Scientifically speaking. I'm about to do something that might get us both killed. Did you mean what you said? I want in. I can face anything. 